The person who I really look to to claim my highest and best at moments when I sometimes lose my way is one of my peers. This woman is one of those wonderful wise women that truly takes the first step even though the path may not appear absolutely clear. She is always willing to embrace life in its fullness, including sometimes some great challenges. She's a woman of great faith, great wisdom, and great heart. She's our very own staff minister, Reverend Connie Nissen. Good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you for being here. I thought I might be alone today. (laughs) Sunday doesn't fall on New Year's Day very often. But it's great. We're a little bit cozy with the chairs rearranged. So welcome. And if it's your first time here, an even bigger welcome, because you're really starting the New Year off in a great way. So we'll begin by doing what we always do, by coming together in consciousness to remember the truth of who we are. I speak these words in the I am, but I'm not just talking about myself. I'm including you. I'm including everyone. So join me, because I am not going to wait no more. Not for a new year, not for a new day, not for a new me. I recognize that there is a power for good in this universe. It is right where I am. It is what I am, as I am, who I am. Doing what I do in, through, and as me. I call it the divine presence, the substance of all life, the creator of all things. It is right here where I am, expressing itself so beautifully, so magnificently, in, through, and as each one of us. So today I step into this new day and this new year, open in mind, open in heart, open to receive and allow that which desires to be expressed through me to come through without any obstruction on my part. So I let go of anything, any idea, any past experience that I feel has obstructed or blocked or prevented me from truly experiencing this higher truth of who and what I am. This day, I claim my right to be that expression of the divine, to live my life in peace, to walk in joy, to know love unconditionally, and to be that light in the world representing that one, that source, that radiates through me, and shines itself everywhere I go so that all who come even near me benefit from me living in purpose, doing my thing, being who I am, experiencing the passion of this life fully and embracing whatever comes my way. For I know I am truly guided, supported, and created in love as love. And that's what I've got. And that's what I've got to give. So I give thanks this day for that which created this love. I give thanks for all those who show up in service this day. In love. To give love. To be love. To experience love. 
and know that this is the guiding principle of my life this day and this year. And so I release these words to a universe that knows exactly how to make that happen for me, for all, here and now. And let's claim it together by saying, and so it is. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brown. So I'm just going to kind of walk over here and pick up my glass of bubbly, and you'll, you'll notice it's San Pellegrino. That's all. So how did you bring in the new year? There's lots of different ways. There's lots of different traditions. Sometimes we like to spend that time with family and friends. And you know, that's a tradition that goes back hundreds, maybe thousands of years to bring in the new because it's lucky or maybe not so lucky depending on who comes through your door. Apparently... There is a belief that if the first person who comes into your home after the new year is a tall, dark-haired man, it will be a lucky thing for you. And I personally believe that if a tall, dark-haired man came into my home after midnight, I might get lucky too. (laughs) It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Now, apparently in Scotland, this sort of um, idea got fed because if a tall, blonde-haired man came into your home, he was probably a Viking and would pillage and steal from you. So the dark-haired part was was quite important. (laughs) I won't admit that Nissen is a Danish name, and I did at one time marry a tall, blonde-haired man. (laughs) But that's another story in another lifetime. So sometimes we eat special food, and apparently, you know, there's certain foods that are meant to bring luck as well. Ham, pork, anything in that nature. Black-eyed peas, maybe if you're from the south. Cabbage, because apparently the green reminds people of prosperity and money. I don't know. And in ancient Roman times, they used to gather at religious functions and share a pitcher full of wine. And they, the, the host would take the first sip to prove there was no poison in the wine, because you know those Greeks and Romans. <laughs> and they would also place a piece of burnt bread or toast in the pitcher of wine. And they would pass it around. And the last person to drink out of the pitcher would also get to eat the toast. And so... Now, whenever we gather and lift a glass together, we make a toast together. And so that's how that came about. And who knew? Did you have noisemakers? Or did you go see fireworks last night? I could hear them from where I was. It keeps the evil spirits away, apparently, to make a lot of noise and chase them away and say, not welcome here. And that goes way back in time as well. But isn't it funny how we still embrace many of these traditions today? I think it would probably be more accurate to, instead of wishing you Happy New Year, to say, congratulations, you made it around the sun one more time. We measure days with the uh, spinning of the earth on its axis, we track the seasons 
by the way the earth tilts on its axis and points towards the sun. We measure months by the phases of the moon. We measure millennia, centuries, and eras, apparently by the relationship uh, of the sun and the stars and the constellations. And we measure a year by how long it takes us to orbit the sun one time. So if you've gone around five times, you're probably ready to start school. If you've gone around 16 times, you might be able to get a driver's license. If you've gone 18 times, you might get to drink liquor legally in a bar. And if you've gone around 65 times, you'll, you'll collect a little bit more money with your pension. All told, most of us may only go around 80, 85. A few might make it to 100. But that's what a year is. It's a very arbitrary kind of a thing when we celebrate New Year's as well, January 1st. Like, what's the significance of that? Long ago, I mean, every culture had a way of of marking a year. And it was often in relation to the uh, way the sun moved through the sky, the seasons, the, the spring was often, in many cultures, is still... the the beginning of the new year. It always had to do with something important and significant, and there was always a definite marker. But January 1st, like, solstice happened weeks ago, and spring isn't going to happen for months, so what's the big deal about January 1st? Well, again, that happened back in ancient Roman times. You know, Julius Caesar decided there should be 12 months, 365 days, you know, on and on. And... um, And it got tweaked a little bit because they realized it wasn't exactly 365 days. So then they had to tweak it and they had to create leap years. And then they had to, um, uh, Pope Gregory came along and decided he had to sort it all out and change it up. And, And so one year they actually had a year that had 445 days just so they could catch up. It's true. And, and we still follow that same kind of, that same kind of calendar. And, and our months are named after these Greek and Roman gods. Janus was January. Had two faces, apparently. One to look at the past and reflect, and one to look forward into the future. And July and August, of course, was uh, Julius, July for Julius Caesar and, and August for Augustus, somebody or other. And whatnot. So it's it's really quite an, an arbitrary thing. And in fact, as I'm you know perusing on the internet, and of course everybody's making a big deal about 2012. There's already books and movies out about this new year that we have only just started. But I always thought that as the Earth went around the Sun, that it sort of followed the same path that we would always begin where we left off and that we would leave off and begin in the same spot. Well, it's not true. The Earth goes around the sun in an elliptical pattern, so it's, not, it's kind of a circle that's kind of you know pulled and, and made longer, but it doesn't always follow the same path, the same elliptical path. That ellipse kind of shifts, so sometimes it's this way, and sometimes it's this way, and sometimes it's more this way. So we never actually follow the same path. And that kind of makes sense because there's all these gravitational pulls happening out in space between the sun and the earth. And in fact, our whole solar system is not a static thing either. Our whole solar system as a unit is moving 
through space. And so we know that when things move through space, they sort of follow a different pattern. So actually, we've probably, as a planet, never been in this spot in space exactly ever before and may never be back at it again. And so we're always creating something new. And if there's one thing on this planet that we all do together, it's, it's that orbit around the sun. It's that tra- traveling of our planet through space. We have no choice. Just like the air we breathe, this life, this path, this journey, this orbit is just given to us. And here we are. We're all in it together, aren't we? So New Year's is also a time when we take up the practice of making resolutions. Can I put that there? I can. And if you've been in New Thought, and this is a New Thought teaching, you may have changed that idea of making resolutions to setting intentions. And sometimes the first step in setting an intention is to reflect on the past year, to kind of look at what worked well, what didn't work so well, And if you've been paying anywhere close attention to the media lately uh, in the past two weeks, there's, there's always in the newspaper, TV, wherever you're looking, there are reflections on the top news stories, the top sports stories, entertainment, food, fashion, politics, whether it be locally, nationally, or globally. There are the ones we've said goodbye to in this past year. There are areas where we look at ourselves and say maybe we didn't quite measure up or we got called on some of our mistakes. And there always will be that idea that, oh, I'll just try and do better. Well, you know, life goes on. Things get released. New things get embraced. We can't stop the death of the physical body. We can't change Mother Nature. And we can't make the whole world change on a dime. I'm reminded of a, of a story. I like to tell stories, you know that. And it's a Chinese fable, and it's the story of the stonecutter. Once upon a time, there was a poor stonecutter who lived alone. He was a pious, compassionate man, and God listened to his prayers. He prayed to be rich and powerful. One morning, he wakened to find he had riches beyond his dreams. He announced to the world, I am the most powerful. The sun mocked him and said, Are you powerful enough to make the plants grow? He was not. The pleasure his riches brought him began to fade. So he prayed, Make me as powerful as the sun. And the next morning he rose with the sun because he was the sun. His pleasure knew no bounds. He warmed the earth, made the plants grow, and scorched the fields of those who did not love God. He announced to the world, I am the most powerful. The wind mocked him this time and said, Are you powerful enough to move the ships through the ocean, to move the rain and the clouds so they block out the sun? His pleasure again began to fade. So he prayed, Make me as powerful as the wind. The next morning he awakened to find he was the wind. He swirled and blew and took great pleasure in moving the clouds and ships in the ocean. He announced to the world, I am the most powerful. I lost my spot. The mountain heard his boast and mocked him. Are you powerful enough to move me? 
He blew and he blew, yet he could not move the mountain. His delight faded, and soon he began to pray to God to make him as powerful as the mountain. One morning he awoke to find that he was a mountain. He delighted in the majesty of his form. The wind blew and blew and could not move him. The sun shone but could not reach behind the giant shadow that he cast. He was indeed powerful. Yet one day, his attention was drawn to a chip, chip, chip. And below, a stonecutter was knocking away big chunks of stone and carrying them away to make a house. The mountain growled, I am the most powerful. Go away. The stonecutter smiled. If you are so powerful, you go away. I am busy. I am building a house to keep my family dry and warm. The mountain sighed. He had wanted to be the most powerful. It was was a long time, a very long time, before he prayed again to God. Make me as powerful as the stone cutter. God spoke. Are you sure? Because he started out as a stone cutter, remember? He replied, it is all that I want in the world. And the next morning, the stonecutter awoke in his bed, and his joy knew no bounds. You see, sometimes the very things that we want, we already have. And the stonecutter started to discover that. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote Women Who Run With Wolves, said, we were made for these times. You know, when we look out into the world and we, and we look, whether, you know, we hear the stories, see the news or read the papers or whatever, we can, we can certainly see where we're missing the mark on this planet globally as a, as a community. Sometimes we can, we can see it in our families. Sometimes we feel it in our own personal lives. And we think, you know, if only I was born sooner, if only, if only, if only... But we were made for these times. How do I know this? Because we are the ones who are here. God doesn't make mistakes. There is that universal divine principle that underlies all of life that knows what it's doing and it knows how to do it. And we are the ones who are here now. Ours is not the task of fixing the entire world at once. Clarissa says, but by stretching out within our reach... Any small, calm thing that one soul can do to help another soul, to assist some portion, will help immensely. It is not given to us to know which acts or by whom will cause the critical mass to tip toward an endearing good. You know, uh, as I was kind of, you know, looking at this whole idea of, um, you know, how the earth orbits the sun and I started reading about the 2012 stuff a little bit because I didn't really, haven't really gotten into what all that's about in a big way because there's so many different opinions about it. But apparently, one of the things when we talk about the earth being tipped on its axis, you know, is that it's not just steady there, it's actually wobbling. And apparently, that wobble, it's, it's wobbling, you know, kind of like a child's top when it starts to slow down. It wobbles a little bit. 
or weebles wobble, but they don't fall down, you know. That wobbling has a cycle, and some people believe we're going to change. That, that cycle is ready to be completed and a new one begun. There's all kinds of things that are, that are being said about it. And so I had this, this imagining, this, you know, my, my mind got away with me and I thought, wow, what if everybody, you know, raced to one side of the world? Could we change the wobble? I don't know. What good would it do? Would we make it tip over or would we make it straighten out? Or I don't know. But that's not really how divine law works, is it? That we all just try to move the deck chairs on the Titanic. There's a, there's a level in consciousness that we need to tap into. And so all we need to do is be who we are. Be the stonecutter, doing what a stonecutter does. Be who we are. We have all the power, all the knowledge, all the wisdom already given to us. That is what we need to tap into. What is needed, she says, for dramatic change is an accumulation of acts, of this reaching out, of being who we are, doing what we do so well, and each one of you has a divine purpose. We know that it does not take everyone on earth to bring justice and peace, but only a small determined group who will not give up. One of the most calming and powerful actions you can do to intervene in a stormy world is to stand up and show your own soul. She says, in my uttermost bones I know something, as do you. It is that there is no despair when you remember why you came to the earth, who you serve, and who sent you here. The good words we say and the good deeds we do are not just ours. They are the words and deeds of the one who brought us here. It acts in, through, and as us. And in that spirit, she says, remember that when a great ship is in harbor and moored, it is safe. But there can be no doubt that that is not what great ships are built for. We are built to weather storms. So if you see despair and challenge in your life on this planet, in our community, know that we are the ones. That was our theme last year. Now is the time, and we are the ones. And just because that banner is going to come down doesn't mean that that message is any less true or important. So what do we do? What do we do? It is the collective fear and, and frustration that sometimes keeps us separate from knowing what we need to do. And of course, there are many books. There are many self-help books. There are many speakers. There are all kinds of things out there. They tell us to develop our, our purpose in life, to develop our, to write our intentions, to identify our challenges, to work with acceptance and understanding. And these are all good messages. To take personal responsibility for creating a new paradigm, for shifting our thinking, for not fall, we don't have to follow traditions that are thousands of years old if they are no longer serving us. We need to look inside ourselves. We need to be open and transparent because it's in secrecy that things go awry. We need to move beyond the ideas of us versus them and good versus bad and find a place in our hearts to support the highest motive that we know surely must dwell within each one of us. And finally, we must come together, not just as individuals, but as groups and communities. If we are going to support our world 
in having the best year of its life in 2012. Profound personal transformation is initiated by the realization that we are all capable of access to the divine. This is the realization that the wisdom of the divine can be discovered deep within us. And there's lots of ways of developing the self-mastery to find that access of the, to the divine within us. Whether it be through personal transformation, through prayer, meditation, contemplation, our reading, our coming together in community, whatever it is for you. And though the means may vary, the intent behind the means is narrowly defined as the intent to expand into a state of consciousness that we become increasingly aligned with our divine essence. Seeing the divine in all things, nurturing that idea in all of life, and expressing it with gratitude. Our New Year's resolutions, our setting of intentions, are often directed at trying to bring us more happiness. We are looking sometimes for the conditions for our own happiness. And when we reflect on the past, we often see what brought us suffering, and we want to change that into what's going to bring us our happiness. What is the thought? What is the belief? Because we talk about focusing on what we want. We focus on adapting our beliefs so that because we know that it's our thoughts that are responded to by this universal principle we call God or the divine and that it responds to us by bringing to us the very thing we desire. I was inspired to, um, after attending the peace meditation yesterday morning, to pull out some of my Thich Nhat Hanh books because he's such a great writer and speaker on peace. He's a Buddhist monk from Vietnam. He lived through the most difficult times and now has a retreat center in France. He, he talks about reincarnation as rebirth. The Buddhists, we believe, often talk about reincarnation. He says the word is really rebirth. And he says that birth does not exist either. He says birth really means nothing, means that from nothing you become nothing, and death generally means that from something you become nothing, but really nothing comes from nothing. And he gives the example of a flower. He says before the birth of the flower, the so-called birth, everything already existed in other forms for that flower to come into being. The clouds, the rain, the sunshine, the seed, the soil, all the elements that need to come together to make a flower already exist. And it's more accurate, he says, to say that the manifestation of the flower will occur when the conditions are right. And we know that seeds germinate when the temperature and the humidity and everything is right. And all those elements come together under the right condition and the flower becomes manifest. Manifestation means its constituents have already been here in some form. And when the conditions are sufficient, 
it is capable of manifesting itself as a flower. When things are manifest, we often say they are born, but he says, in fact, they are not. And when conditions are no longer sufficient and the flower ceases to manifest, we say the flower has died. But that is not correct either, he says. Its constituents have merely been transformed into other elements like compost and soil so that it may be reborn as a flower again next spring maybe. So reality is free from these notions of birth and death, he says. When he talks about the ocean and the waves, sometimes we just see the wave and we want to touch the wave, but the wave rises and fades, comes and goes. And if all we see is the wave and we touch the wave and then it's no longer there, we dwell in our suffering of that very thing not being there. But if we understand about the water that is the substance, the ground of being, the divine presence of the wave, then we have touched the water and we are not bothered by the coming and going of the waves. We are not bothered by the birth and the death when we know the ground substance the divine beingness, the true nature of who and what we are. We can allow things to come into manifestation and to be released and to know that everything, you and I included, change form in this lifetime. So when we are mindful of not just touching, but of knowing this and knowing the source, there is a certain comfort and a certain ability for us to be in alignment with the truth of who and what we are. So what is the thought that will transform this year into the best year of our lives? It is that thought of remembering the truth of who and what we are. Remembering that the ingredients for that best year already exist. And it is up to us. We have been given the free will, the ability to choose how we use these ingredients, how we support consciousness with our mindfulness of remembering that creates the conditions for the very thing we want to experience to become manifest or born, if that's the term we like to use. Another example, I have got all of the ingredients at my house for chocolate cake. There is no chocolate cake at my house right now. I chose not to make chocolate cake today. I used the chocolate to dip my strawberries into. I chose not to use flour and sugar. But if I wanted to, I could make chocolate cake because I do have all the ingredients. And if I put them all together and heated my oven to the right temperature and put those ingredients in for the right amount of time, I could have chocolate cake. You have everything that you need right here and right now to create the best year of your life, to create the happiness that you desire. And it is up to each and every one of us 
to allow ourselves to nurture our own consciousness, to nurture the seeds of our own thought with what is true about ourselves, that we are magnificent beings, that we are joyful, that we are filled with peace and unconditional love, all of the things that are the nature of our creator, and we just have to look outside at nature to know what it is, to know that that's the truth of who we are. Our teaching is referred to as a new thought teaching. And it is called New Thought because it was established back in the 19th century at a time when there was a new psychology coming about. It happened in America where they were letting go of the old world and creating the new world. It was also called New Thought because it was based on the belief that in order to achieve positive results in our lives that we must keep our thoughts in a constant state of renewal. Each day, new thoughts. Each day, reminding ourselves, remembering, being mindful of the truth of who and what we are. Our theme this year is 366, because it's a leap year, Days of Richer Living. It is a book written by Ernest Holmes and uh, Raymond Charles Barker. And each day there's a beautiful reading for you. And... When you pick up this book, do read the foreword, especially if you are not familiar with science of mind or if you need to be reminded of what this teaching of science of mind is. And he tells us that science of mind is built upon the theory that there is one infinite mind which of necessity includes all that is intelligent, whether it is in man, animal, or the invisible presence which we call God. In it, we learn to have a spiritual sense of all things. And the spiritual sense of things is what is meant by the consciousness of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas and all throughout the year. And to be able to discern the spiritual idea in back of its physical symbol is to use the mind that Jesus used. That's what makes this, yes, a Christian teaching, but more so. It is what reminds us that spirit is in back of all things, all things that we see. And as things are born, and as things are released, and as things are renewed, it is all God, it is all good, it is all here right now. The themes for the The readings this week begin with, I am resolved to see the good in everyone and in every event. That is being mindful of the presence of spirit in each and everything and each and every one we meet. Tomorrow, today I shall guard my thoughts, seeing to it that nothing emanates from my consciousness other than that which will bless, build up, and heal. Again, being mindful of the highest truth of who you are. Then today I live. Today I live as that expression of the divine, for I and it are one. Then I know that my spirit is free from all limitation. There is nothing in the mind of God. There is nothing in creation that is here to limit us. And I know that I understand the truth of myself, of who and what I am. And it goes on. It's a wonderful book. I do hope you will pick it up and use it when you forget. Because this book will help you to remember each and every day. So here we have a new year, a new opportunity, a new day. 
But we can have that each and every day, each and every moment. Not, not just because it's New Year's today. That is our gift to ourselves to be reborn, rebirthed, renewed, manifested new in each and every moment. And that is what I know for each and every one of you. And thank you so much for being here today. Namaste. Namaste.